Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show where everything's made up and the decade doesn't matter. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Marty Schneider. I'm the other host, I'm Dan Ludwig. I literally watched Who's the Lines of It Anyway last night spontaneously. I, you know, I thought... Fucking freaky. <laughs> this is like the sixth time this has happened. When I first got HBO Max, now I think HBO Max kind of has like the best selection of all the streaming services, but the apps are fucking garbage like to use but i remember the first week or so i was like going through and i was like this is kind of crap this isn't very good and i realized that like none of their good stuff is featured you have to go looking for it i literally just typed in random letters and i was like w like into the search w what comes up whose line i was there's eight seasons of whose line i was like great this is the best streaming service ever yeah it, okay, so last night we watched Whose Line Is It Anyway. I thought I didn't have an opener. I got a fucking opener. Last night we watched Whose Line Is It Anyway. And you know how they have, like, the rotating fourth person? Sure, yeah. And you know how, like, halfway through the show they were like, all right, we should probably have, like, some women as the fourth person so it's not just consistently dudes? Right. So we watched one of them, and they had, I think it was, like, one of the first times they'd had a woman on. And about... A quarter of the way through the episode, I started to notice, hey, this woman has not spoken once during <laughs> Who's Lies in Anyway, <laughs> which then turned into a thing of like, I'm watching it and I'm gradually getting more and more stressed out where I'm like, how far into the episode are they going to get before the woman on the show, whose line is it anyway, gets literally a single line? <laughs> Lit at all. Whose line is it? And we know it's not yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking. And like by the end, I'm like almost sweating. I'm like visibly stressed out because I'm like, they are 75% of the way through the episode, and she has literally not spoken once. She got one sketch that she was in, and it was one of the ones where they pretend to be props, and Ryan Styles pretended that she was a towel. Uh so like Got through the entire fucking episode where the a woman did not speak a single line on an, on a show that is based off of the people saying words at each other as much as possible. Fucking insane. I felt like I, I'm not like I'm not sitting here and be like, whose line is it anyway? Is sexist, but kind of, yeah, yeah, but like, but holy shit! I, I also had like similar thoughts going and watching it. I was like, damn, who thought that Wayne Brady would be the problematic one on this show? Ten years later. Oh, yeah. Dude, there is not a single racist accent that Wayne Brady has not found that he did not love. <laughs> no, God. They fucking, they, they had a thing of like, Wayne Brady, do a song in the style of a Hawaiian song. And he's like, okay, motherfuckers. Like, this is about to fuck like, you they'll up. They'll do that bit where like, here's a box of hats. And Wayne Brady's like diving in looking for a turban. Like, where can I find a <laughs> turban? I've got to do the voice. Whose line is it anyway? A cornerstone of my childhood not aged good but you know, still kind of rules like still rules <laughs> like still good and still on the air right now aisha tyler's the host 
Oh yeah, they're still yeah, doing they're still, that. They're doing it because it's cheap as hell to produce. It costs no money mm. to to make, and people will watch it. <laughs> but also, like, you want me to watch a TV show about people doing improv? I'm avoiding doing that as much as possible in my day. Oh, for life. sure, for sure. Yeah. I, I feel I feel like we can't let people know that we've seen whose land is it anyway recently, because then otherwise we're gonna get like evites to other people's improv shows. And I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, Steve, from work. You are not Ryan Stiles. I am 30 years of age. I have experienced everything I'm going to experience out of watching improv. I've laughed. I've cringed. I've wished I could walk out of the room. I, I got it. I got the experience. Do not invite me to... I feel like that's one of the, the upsides of the, the hell of recent years is I think the improv show has died. No, it's just moved online. It's just moved wow. to Twitch with mixed results. I watched. Oh Jesus! I watched a uh, a Twitch stream. Philly performers, the end crowd. I'm gonna say it was decent, but they they had a pretty good idea for a a virtual improv thing where it was just they had a script. They had a, a script for an episode of Lois and Clark: The Real Adventures of Superman, the Dean Kane Superman show. And the deal was they were doing a table read, and everybody had the script in front of them. Except for the person playing Superman. Oh, that's actually pretty <laughs> it's good. Real good, right? It's pretty good. And the thing is, though, like the, the person being Superman just had to improv and guess all the lines. And what it came down to was basically just saying, "What the fuck is this?" over and over and over again, and it always being funny. But the problem was, every person who had the script was just like, their guesses are way too close. They're guessing way too close to what's actually here. And that's nothing yeah. against the improv. That's definitely against. The writers of Lois and Clark, the real adventure of <laughs> Superman. Because it turns out you can just remove Superman from that entirely, and we'll all just fill in the blanks mentally. We'll all get the gist Basically. of it. Basically. Uh, That's like a CW show, though. You can, for most CW shows, you can just be the like. CW didn't exist when Lois and Clark was on. This was. Oh, what dude, fucking channel this, was this? This, on? Was, this was in the mid 90s. Fucking Dean Cain Superman. That was on ABC, I want to say. Oh, this was a network television program that ran for like five years. Listen, if we talk about the lo the Real Adventure of Superman anymore, we're going to get Patreon requests to do it. So, oh, like, Jesus. we have to stop now. I saw a show. I went and saw a live performance of a show. A, what a was musical. It? I saw a I saw Traffic and Weather. You've never heard of it. It don't no. because this is the premiere of it. Traffic and Weather is how am I going to describe this? It is a musical rendition. It's not quite a musical because there's no plot to it but it is a musical rendition of the album traffic and weather by fountains of wayne okay <laughs> my favorite band of all time fountains of wayne yes my favorite band of all time is fountains <laughs> of wayne uh how did i not know that about <laughs> and this is also in tribute to adam schlesinger the lead songwriter and bass player of fountains of wayne who died of covid uh, about a year ago like, in April, like, right at the very beginning of it. Adam Schlesinger also wrote most of the music for uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And he wrote the th the song That Thing You Do from the movie That Thing You Do. And pretty much if you've seen a movie with an original song in the past 20 years, he had some hand in it. So R.I.P. Yeah, so sort of in tribute to him, I guess he had been working with the Broadway producer for years on, like, maybe we'll do this, maybe we won't. And... 
after he died, this producer who is also on like the board of directors of some theater, like theater festival in upstate New York was like, well, I guess I'm going to do this show now. So I drove up to upstate New York and camped out. I had a very different upstate New York camping experience than you did. There were no druids. No one Mm -hmm. attempted to cast magic on me. And I saw this show. It's fun. I enjoyed it. Like the songs are are upbeat and catchy. The the crew or the cast was very charismatic. It's basically each track is its own little short story. So they have like a little bit of dialogue at the beginning to introduce it. They do the song and they, so it's fun. It's not going anywhere because I'm pretty sure that there is not really any demand. No, I don't know how like connected this producer is, but there's not really a demand for a 45 minute plotless musical based on the fourth best album of a band most people cannot name and whose biggest hit they usually attribute to Bowling for Soup. Uh-huh. It's it's really sad, by the way, as a fan to walk in and just see, like, on the on the uh, marquee or whatever, from the songwriter of Stacy's Mom. And I'm like... Oh, God! I'm like, I get that's what you have to do. Anyway, I, I'm I'm man enough to admit, like, this, this hit me. Like, I was... Mm-hmm emotional at multiple points like i i told i told sarah as i I went in i'm like you're gonna have me crying like i'm gonna be a mess at certain points in this in this album and i was to the point where afterwards afterwards like somebody else from the audience came in and it's like and and came up to me and started saying you know I saw how emotional you got. I know this really affected us. My my son is in the the cast, so I've seen this a few times. And I was like, "Oh, good, yeah, yeah." I'm, I'm sorry if I made you upset. She was like, "No, no, no. You know, I know you made a special trip to come up here." And I said, "How do you how do you know that I did that?" Like I thought I did tweet about it. Like maybe this is person. Maybe they run the social media for this place, and they saw that or whatever. And she goes, yeah, I, I get it. And we must have been really close. And your and the work you did and your music was really impactful. And I blinked a few times. And I said, do you think I'm the other guy from Fountains of Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> do you think I'm the other dude, Chris Collingswood? Do you? Oh, oh, no, no. Hold up. Pa- <laughs> Looking up Chris Collingswood. I don't look anything like him. Ignoring the fact that he's at least 15 years older than me. Fountains of Wayne. Absolutely nothing. So apparently I was such a mess in this that they had that people looking around had to be like, oh, they must have been friends. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that must have been his longtime friend and songwriting partner. That must that must be the that guy's crying like like Paul McCartney after Lennon got shot. That's clear. That's the only explanation for how this man is having a reaction to this pop song about two people in an airport. Like that's that's Why? the only reason. Why didn't you lean into this? You could have gotten backstage. You could have gone backstage. You should have seen how far you could have gone with them assuming that you must have known him. Okay, first off, I don't want stolen best friend Valor. So that I can go backstage at what was essentially a community theater production. Like, if I... This isn't Broadway. If if I wanted to go backstage, I probably could have asked. I could probably could have just, like, gotten lost on my way to the bathroom. Like, hey, what's up? Like... You need to learn how to say yes to situations more because, uh, yeah, you go backstage at a community theater uh, production. Six months later, you're, like, 
on the stage of the Grammys. Still no one has Googled this. <laughs> and you're giving a moving tribute as the guy from Fountains of Wayne. Until eventually, the real Chris Collins would confront you on stage. <laughs> and it's just like, do none of you guys know what I look like? <laughs> I could have probably pretended to be the drummer. No one pays attention to the drummer. Today's episode, let's go ahead and get this this episode out of the way. It's John Whedon, John. And I'm starting to realize, like, how much fucking damage this dude, John Whedon, did. Like... He's the, the the country is in worse shape because John Whedon is a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Who was given like, access to everybody's attention span for half an hour at a time. John Whedon is a force of like primordial evil, like Judge Holden from Blood Meridian. Like he's he's like a Cormac McCarthy character in that he's just a manifestation of American sins. He also wrote, like, he wrote some episodes of, he wrote a lot of episodes of the Donna Reed show, which I don't know enough about to comment, but he also wrote, like, eight episodes of the Dick Van Dyke show, including a uh, an episode where Dick Van Dyke's character, Rob, for some reason he wasn't playing a character named Dick, but Dick Van Dyke's character, Rob, who is like a comedy writer, he's like a writer of a show, a chorus girl gets a crush on him and is like following him around, and to get rid of this chorus girl, Rob's wife suggests, why don't you go ahead and pursue her? Why don't you go ahead and like aggressively pursue her and scare her off leading to a scene where dick van dyke is groping this woman in an office and forcing himself on her for the sake of comedy (laughs) oh my god so he literally he he so he engineered a situation where the version of like jumping a general Lee is molestation. Yes, yes. He he Fuck. he was like, you know, you know what? People like this Dick Van Dyke guy too much. How lecherous and dangerous can I make him on screen? That'll be fun. So I like want to re- we need to research John Whedon and just figure out like where did he come from? Because I feel like if we look at it be like Actually, there's no recording of John Whedon being born. He just, like, kind of appeared one day in a writer's room and was like, we need to have him beat some black people. Theory, theory, theory. Remember our pal from season one, David Adler? Yeah. David Adler, the the guy who we thought was a hero because he, like, refused to name names to the HUAC. And then we got into his shit and we're like, oh, David, you're all fucked up, man. Yeah. David Adler didn't go into hiding. He just reappeared as John (laughs) Whedon. (laughs) <laughs> and and now he had an axe to grind yeah. what if fucking like we start researching john whedon and we realize like da vinci code style that in the background of every bad thing to happen in in regards to tv you can just see john whedon in the background like leering like happy days the shark jumping scene if you like hold a magnifying glass up to the writer's room you just see john Whedon just calculating with his, like, putting his fingers together like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he, he was there for every evil moment like like and also re- somehow he caused 9-11 like geraldo Ger- is standing in front of al capone's vault <laughs> and he's like i'm about to blow this thing wide open and there's like john Whedon just sneaking out all of the documentation and all of the like <laughs> golden money like in a mine in a wheelbarrow like minutes before just pushing in the van go 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 we're gonna make Geraldo look like an idiot 
And that's going to start a downward spiral that's going to last for his entire career. I we're going to like like start researching this and we have like yarn up on corkboard and be like the Rothschilds. Coca-Cola cancel does new coke. It's all tied together. He was involved in all of it. So here's the episode. All right, so Dan, the one sentence summary from this gives away the ending. It's actually a two sentence summary. Should I do both sentences? Should I give away the ending? Do the first sentence. Okay. Fine. I mean, let, let's say up top, don't fucking watch this, this episode. This episode is infuriating. Yeah. Don't let us experience this for you. And if you watched it in preparation, sorry. Yeah. yeah actually, if you watched it in preparation for this, why? Yeah. yeah more, more to the point, why do you do this? <laughs> uh, right. We do this so you people don't have to. We're talking about Season 4, Episode 15, Ant B, The Crusader. Originally airs January 20th, 1964. Written by that fucking piece of shit, John Whedon. And directed by Kobe Ruskin. The Beatles will appear on The Ed Sullivan Show in a couple of months, just to remind you where we are in history. And here is your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Ant B leads a ladies' protest against Andy and Barney when a chicken farmer is about to be evicted to make way for a new highway. I'm going to stop there. There's a second sentence, but I'm not going to read it. So Yeah. So that's that's the basic point, is this is an Ant B... This is a B versus Andy episode. There is actually conflict between two of our characters that doesn't involve Barney Fife's, like, feelings. Yeah, like, it is... It sets up one of the best, like, moral conflicts the show has ever had, and then just fucking absolutely throws it in your face. It, well, it, it, like, it's because it gives Andy an antagonist. He hasn't had yeah. an antagonist for a long time. We ha- He had one in the mayor, and then they stopped doing that. And an antagonist that had actual moral opposition right the antagonist has a reason to oppose the things andy are doing and provides him with a legitimate challenge as a character and a challenge to the show Uh, and and also like there are personal stakes too because this is the woman who raised him like yeah and is raising his child so this is a family member and andy griffith and francis bobby both killing it absolutely like crushing everybody's good in this episode yeah Okay, so before we get started, I just want to sort of reference something. So we're a little bit out of our depths here with this subject matter. This was kind of supposed to be a guest episode where we bring on someone who deals with protests and fighting unfair evictions. But turns out people that do that are kind of busy right now. (laughs) Yeah, we would be 100% wasting their time. They kind of have a full docket. So yeah. we're going to do our best. And, and to be honest, like half the time we have a, an expert guest on the show, it's to prevent us from having to do any research whatsoever. Like, yes. And so we decided to suck it up and Google the words eminent domain. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out that shit is complicated. Yeah, so. it's super hard. <laughs> so we're going to be pointing out all this is bullshit. Honestly. The Andy Griffith Show addresses the topic in such wildly bad faith that I feel like our like expertise is almost unnecessary. 
because you're we're sort of arguing a fantasy version of of these events of how a person is evicted. So fucking sorry yeah. when we say a bunch of dumb shit that is immediately contested and thrown out by a single tweet. Uh, all right, so let's let's hop into this. So this starts off with an old man with a rooster on his shoulder appearing at the tailor's door. And what's the the name of the old man? It's Mr. Frisbee. Mr. Frisbee, which is just said over and over again as if it's a real name. The I mean, there is a I I can think of a very famous Mrs. Frisbee, but she's a cartoon mouse. So Yeah. Like but they're they're like they're they're having these impassioned speeches about like ethics and god and doing the right thing by people but the entire time they're like and another thing about mr frisbee who i cannot reiterate enough is not a character on the big comfy couch (laughs) this real person with real problems other than what to do about the grinch raiding his home so mr frisbee with clown ass name like I don't know why Mr. Frisbee wasn't played by Doodles Weaver. I, is he dead at he's, this He's point? still alive, I think. So Mr. Frisbee comes over and he's dropping off the eggs, but he's also like just getting rid of apparently his worldly belongings. <laughs> like it really, it feels like he's getting ready for the grave because yeah. he's like, he, he, he like Opie sees that he's got his rooster bow and he's like, boy, I sure like bow. And, and uh, Mr. Frisbee's like, you want this chicken, man? <laughs> I don't have a use for this take, chicken anymore. Take the fucking chicken. <laughs> Which, like, I do appreciate the absolute fuck you to that kid's parents of just being like, here, imprint on this chicken is something you want and love. Do you see it? It could be yours. <laughs> it, it It's it's already yours. I, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna let your dad deal with that. Actually, I, I'm making him sound like a little bit more despondent than he actually is. Like, He's basically his his approach to it, his tact to everything is just like, well, this shit's happening. This sucks. Yeah, whatever. I'm not fucking happy about it. Like to be clear, it 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 doesn't sound like he's particularly like it sounds like he's irritated, but more like it it sounds like he's irritated in the way that I'm irritated when I walk into a movie theater and all of the good seats are taken. It's more yeah. like a eh. Ugh. But in this case, it's losing his house. So yeah. I, I want to be clear because it's not like he's really fighting that hard. Like it's not like he's the one who's fighting, but he he. So keep that in mind. So he he offers Opie his chick the chicken. He gives Aunt B a mustache cup, which is delightful. A mustache. If you don't know what a mustache cup is, I also had to look this up, and it was one of those things where I was like, oh yeah, I've seen that before. It's a ceramic cup, but inside the lip there's like a little ceramic piece so that you could sip on it. And it wouldn't get tea or whatever in your mustache. Oh, that's nice. So why does Aunt... Honestly, that sounds really useful. It's pretty useful. I I would like to have it back. Uh, And by this point, like, I think they were really popular in, like, Victorian era. And so they would be, like, an antique piece for a collector. Like an old lady who was collecting China, like Aunt B in the 60s. So Aunt B's like, oh, this is wonderful. I'll have a great piece of mustache cup. Why are you giving your stuff away? (laughs) And... And he says that the county is running him off of his property to build a new highway. And he he specifically says, this is the house I was born in. It's been in my family for generations. It's my fuck. It's like my property. I do not want to move. And again, he says it in kind of like the, 
you you want to hear some bullshit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the land that my family's been living on probably since like fucking colonial times or some shit. I'm getting run off of it to build a stupid fucking highway instead of like the realistic thing of like ah yeah he said my ancestors he says this with basically the same tone of voice that you and I have for every intro of this epi- of this podcast yeah at that, that, that same level of just like ah uh, this fucking shit all right uh, man <laughs> this is less than ideal. <laughs> That my entire life is getting ruined. Do you have a place to live? Doesn't seem like it, but, you know, you roll with the punches. I'm opposed to this, but, you know, not enough to raise my voice slightly. So, Opie offers Andy's help, and the way he offers Andy's help is, My pa's the sheriff, and he can do anything! Yeah! Which, I would say, is an unhealthy way for a young man to think about his father, but... Given it's, the way this show works, I have not seen any evidence to the contrary. But there's, we've had four seasons of Opie being like, hey, Pa, can you solve any problem and do anything with or without your powers as a sheriff? And Andy has been like, look at me. Look at me. Make eye contact. Understand this. Yes. Yes, I can. Within the domain of this town, I am a living god. I'm positive that the way that this show ends is like 13 year old Opie looking at his son, his father, and saying, Hey, hey, old man, could you create a rock so large <laughs> that you yourself could not lift it? And then one or both of their heads explode. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking. Yeah. So, like, Opie just kind of follows the consistent logic of the show. And, and... father is omnipotent. And, yeah. And he will be proven right by the end of this. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Aunt B, like, goes on a crusade. This is where it comes from. She goes on the warpath. She's like, well, not if I have anything to say about it. A rumpf. Yeah. And then, and then like, storms over to the jail. This is followed by a prolonged, somewhat funny bit of, basically, Otis is in the jail cell. He's He was wasted last night. They're in the process of releasing him. And Barney says... We should ask him where he is getting the moonshine to get wasted. And he's just like, why bother? We know Otis doesn't snitch. Yeah. And and uh, Barney's like, well, we will. Your, Barney's response is, he will if you let me scare the shit out of him. Yeah. If you let me threaten physical violence, uh, then maybe. What you haven't tried, Andy, is uh, that enhanced interrogation. You know, the <laughs> the enhanced interrogation that turns out that's that's legal in in the future. We can we'll we'll be trailblazers, Andy. Trailblazers. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just, I'm sorry that went on way longer than it should have. But I was actually on a good Don Knotts impression. I know, and those need to be savored. Yeah, like as they're having the conversation, bar. Uh, car battery just slowly rises up under from under the desk in Barney's hands be like I think we should give it a shot uh, did you know you can make a man think that he's drowning without actually drowning him <laughs> crazy now, Andy, what the human body can do I've been looking through the pol- police gazette and I found something called stress positions that you, they can neither sit nor stand I've built something using folksy woodworking that I think can accomplish this I could uh, I could go down to Hooper's store right now and get us a whole bag of oranges. <laughs> Ooh, latest edition of the Mayberry phone book came in. Huh. All right, so uh, yeah, so, so no, the- no, they they do this bit. Uh, 
like Barney or Otis is walking out, and I I like the they they must have had the chair on a wire or something, but they do a bit where Barney kicks the chair and it slides all the way across the the floor to the other side of the room and knocks Otis into it. I thought that was funny. I thought that was a yeah, good, was good good bit of like wire work there. There's some very Al Smith is acting his fucking face off. There's some as very usual. bad wire work later on in this episode, but this one was good. I honestly I I like I like Don Knotts and Hal Smith playing together. That's always fun. Those two are they, always funny. Hal Smith brings out the best in Don Knotts. I think so. You know, I I I think we what we've seen is that for most of this show, Don Knotts plays the wacky one to Andy Straight Man. And yeah. what Hal Smith and I guess to another extent Gomer Pyle, Jim Neighbors allows allow for, is it allows to shift that and Don Knotts gets to do the straight man role. Which I think he's actually better at. And he is. And it's what he would do for most of the rest of his career with like Tim Conway and his role on Three's Company. I think he's better at that. It's fun to watch him get frustrated at a ridiculous thing. Which when you have him be the wacky guy, it's like, all right, Don, do something like do something funny he's like bullshit insane opinion wide eyes like threatening to hurt a child like he, he there's he doesn't really do anything like cartoony he's just a fucking sociopath yeah i think i think you nailed it with the word frustration it's more fun to watch him get frustrated than it is to watch him be a source of frustration yeah yeah but like when he gets frustrated in regards to andy it's not because andy did something wacky and silly it's because andy's like hey barney you're a bitch. And Barney's like, ooh. Like, it's not really, like, <laughs> an Abbott and Costello. It's Abbott and double Abbott. Uh, yeah. So, so in this in this case, he's trying to do, like, a like a drill sergeant type thing. He's smacking his hand with a ruler, trying to do, like, I don't know, some weird Dom kind of shit, honestly. Yeah. He's smacking. Where are you getting it? Where are you getting it? Where are you getting it? And he smacks his own hand so hard that it hurts. Yeah. Uh, he pulls, I like this bit, he pulls Otis over to the desk and he pulls up his lamp to try to shine the light in his eyes. And then the lamp limply falls back over and he tries to straighten it up again and it limply falls back over. And if that's not a metaphor, I don't know what the fuck is. <laughs> it's a real, I, I want to believe that they did that on purpose. Oh, I, a hundred percent. Like him like being basically literally limp dicked at everything he fucking tries oh yeah that one's very yeah. clear there's another little like while he's fighting with the lamp there's this great bit where where hal smith just like whispers to andy like can i go he's like he's like gesturing towards the door with his thumb like am i can i go and andy's like yeah 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 get the fuck out of go 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 <laughs> <laughs> fucking yeah no so he he, he rushes him out the door Aunt B comes in dragging the conflict of the episode with her, which is basically all right. So she starts yelling at him about Mr. Frisbee and saying that it's not right that he's getting evicted off of off of his land. Him we being Andy, let me be clear. Yeah, yeah. Him yeah. Being Andy. Also, uh, there's a little moment where she has she has a moment with Otis on the way out, and I, I want to pay attention to this, where she's like, "Otis, did it happen again?" And Otis is just like, well, I'm telling you, I'm trying. I'm trying so hard, but temptation finds me all the time. And Aunt B's like, response is, you should go to church. Go talk to the pastor. Maybe the pastor can help. And Otis goes, all right, well, I'll try. Bye. 
And, yeah. And th- th- this establishes kind of something essential to the episode, which is that Aunt B really believes the best in everybody, to, even when they are like Andy Griffith labeled bad people. Because yeah. she goes to Andy and she goes, oh, poor Otis, he's trying so hard. And Andy's like, no, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's fucking. <laughs> have you been around? This dude doesn't try at all. <laughs> Otis is a trash pile of a person and it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. He's like my silly little buddy. He's not going to live to see the end of the decade, but woo! He's like a cartoon character. Uh, I love it. I love my trash, uh, my doomed trash friend. But yeah, so he's like, but I think Aunt B, like these are, I think really kind of, well, they're not new to her character, right? Aunt B is always believing the uh, the best of everybody, including con men. Uh, so Aunt yeah. B's kind of easily swindled because she wants to be so positive, even when the badness of a person is like very obvious to her. This is also, I want to say, like the first time. How do I how do I phrase this? The church being like a solution to the problem is really ingrained in this and to be honest for for all that the andy griffith show fans talk about the religiousness of the of the show it doesn't come up that often at least not in the three and a half seasons we've gotten to they've gone to church like twice but like the words god or jesus really never came up but this is the first time when she's like i am a church goer and church can solve the problems and you would be a better person if you went to church so really sanctimonious about it which is but very- the Andy Griffith show explicitly is like, church doesn't solve problems. Grifts solve problems. Right. That's what's really interesting is that, like, they make the most religious person in this, like, the the person on a literal crusade, that word has religious connotations, like, they make her wrong in the end. Yeah. So she, she like, gets mad at, at Andy and she goes and... A lot's happening in this scene, actually. Like, uh, give John Whedon credit where credit is due. A lot is layered into this dialogue that sets up for bullshit later. Uh, Yeah. But she says quite, you know, Otis wouldn't be having this problem if you were getting rid of moonshiners instead of running people off their property like Mr. Frisbee. Keep that line in mind. Remember that line. Um, Which Andy says, we're trying. Which then... Brings up the whole thing of like, yo, Andy's been busting moonshiners left and fucking right for four fucking seasons. It's not work. There's literally just another moonshine. There's just the next moonshiner. It's it's like, very much the war on drugs. Like Yes, it's extremely it's, the war on drugs. Like he busts the moonshiner out in the woods. Someone puts a moonshine in a in a farm. He busts that. Someone puts it, like, in a haunted house. Bust that. Another farm. Bust that. Back in the woods. And like, and, and I, I can't be clear enough how weird this is. I don't think we talk enough about how weird the prohibition of Mayberry really is. Yeah. Because even though there are still dry counties, in fact, I just looked it up, there's still today, there's about 500 dry counties in the country. Or yeah. at least as of 10 years ago, that was the most recent figure I could find. And they're mostly in the South. But we were... 30 years away from the ending of Prohibition in this. Yeah. I don't think we talk enough about how fucking weird the Prohibition, the Dry County. It's because they needed to have a crime. It's need, They need yeah. to have a crime. And this continues, by the way, into the 70s, right? That was half the episodes of the, of the Dukes of Hazard were about, like, running alcohol. That's what the plot of Smokey and the Bandit is, is, dry, is driving a truckload of beer through, a, a like, a 
bunch of states where you can't have alcohol or a I bunch think of counties. My suspicion is that after prohibition ended, I feel like people really fucking missed prohibition because they're like, this ruled. We got to do crime all the time. <laughs> it kicked ass. Like, well, I like victimless crime, literal victimless crime. But it was like us in a race against the lawmen. It, I mean, they it just, just turned it ass. into NASCAR. Yeah, that's, that's that's where stock car racing comes from. It comes yeah. from prohibition runners. It was like alcohol runners like souping up their cars to see who could get away from the cops the fastest, and then they just started racing each other. Yeah, like, but like it seems like based off of the dynamic of the Andy Griffith show, it seemed like it just kind of turned American crime into a fucking game because the cops would catch you for moonshine and be like, "Now you boys." You cut it out. So yeah, when we know you're a moonshiner, and I'm gonna bust up your still, but also like fucking twelve minutes of jail. Time but it's just off. it's it's right, and that's how they kind of approach it. But it's it's also how like the Andy Griffith Show labels bad person a bad person. Well, not really, because there are plenty of moonshiners that are that are are good people, I guess, or like overall not bad. Like yeah. everyone kind of admits that they have mixed feelings about this and anyway when barney's sitting there like smacking his hand and yelling where are you getting it where are you getting it like otis's response should be the next county yeah <laughs> i just cross over the border because it's it's 1964 over there you psychopath yeah it's like, the they just they put so much on the moonshining thing be like to label a person a quote-unquote criminal and it comes up in this episode and i I'm going to put a pin in this because I want to get back to it. Well, let's let's go ahead when, when we get to it. But let's go ahead and they're arguing over the eviction of Mr. Frisbee. And Barney does this bit where he like switches sides to whoever was talking late recently. She's yelling at about Mr. Frisbee. Barney is also yelling. He's like, oh, yeah, they're going to build a highway. They're they're kicking that man off his land to build a highway. Well, that highway already doesn't go anywhere. And Andy goes, yeah, man. It doesn't go anywhere because there's a house in the way. Like, <laughs> yeah. They, when, when they when they make the highway more, it when they build the highway, it will go somewhere. And Barney like for, yells, "No, they're just doing it so they can hire more public servants." He goes on some real libertarian shit, and Andy points out that they're public servants. And then Barney's like, "Wait, what? We work for the county. Like they pay our there are our paychecks too." And let me tell you, I have worked for the federal government. And that argument is not effective. No. <laughs> there are so many hardcore libertarians working for the federal government right now, working in government positions. And it's just, this is true. My first day working for the U.S. Department of Labor, I used to do that. I walked down the hall and I met a guy who was my union rep, mind you. <laughs> and... On his door, he had taped that stupid fucking saying from Ronald Reagan. The scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Fucking, and I, so... I sat there going, what do you think our jobs are? So it's just Ron Swanson's all the way it's down? so many Swansons, dude. There's Swansons all over the place. And I sat there for a bit going, like, is this a bit? Is this a gag that you're doing? No, you have no self-awareness whatsoever. Okay. No, man. Ron Swanson was dead on. Ron Swanson was a dead on uh, depiction of a specific type of person. Fucking <laughs> And asshole. I have met them. Yeah. 
people that would like kill for like a, a a government job and you just have these fucking libertarians doing a job they believe shouldn't exist yeah it's fucking frustrating like because mm. government jobs good jobs yeah, yeah. anyway so <laughs> um so yeah but this is extremely like frustrating because it is 100 percent barney is a hardcore libertarian until his direct interests are threatened which is like haha funny bit which is but real as shit especially amongst cops where they're like Yo, for Union- sure. unions are bad reduce taxes less spending except for over here Ex- except it- except except the fraternal order of police <laughs> literally except over we are the exception that proves the rule fuck off do don't you dare take any of our shit away which is funny because the exact opposite is my is always mine like i'm always like hell yeah pro union asterisk except the fop fuck that yeah (laughs) so all right so andy lays out his argument here which is um they already built part of the highway they ran out of money now they need now they have money so they need to build the rest of the highway but there's this house in between and if we don't build if we don't take the house then we can't build the highway. We need that highway for emergency vehicles. Also, they are paying him for his property more than uh, it is worth. So that's like everything Andy has on the table. And he's he's basically laying out a case for gentrification and also like using the defense of emergency. What if there's an emergency with with a a bit of like somebody think about the children, you know? Which... Under the circ, under the the conditions that Andy lays out, like in this in this board game, Andy is the winner of the argument. Like, like I kind of found myself going, like, oh yeah, I get it. Well, but that's the thing is, like, the the parameters of the game are one lies because they don't offer you more than what your property is worth. You, you you all couldn't see it, listeners, but I just did the hand signal of like shaking my hand back and forth, going eh, more yeah. or less, eh. and. The other thing that I, like, didn't catch until the second wa- run-through is, hey, they should have probably secured the land before they built half the highway. That's exactly it, right? You should have probably done that before. And so there's, so, a, there's but, also a bit right here. Aunt B makes the argument, oh, money makes it all right? You know, you never did like Mr. Frisbee. And Andy goes, yeah, I don't like that guy. There's never a reason given for why Andy doesn't like that guy. And a bit of context here is we've seen Andy duck evictions before a thousand times we've seen him uh, on several occasions just be like i don't want to serve this eviction fuck you it was one of the things that we like really liked about him uh, a couple of seasons ago so yeah like andy really does that that's where the crux of his argument falls apart is that if andy wanted to do something about this he could yeah and, and Aunt b calls him out on it and says you could do this if you wanted to and yeah. he's like I can't. My hands are tied. I can't do anything about this. He 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 does. He says this to Opie too. And this is the second time. The second time John Whedon has written this these words this episode, or sorry, this is the second time John Whedon has written these words this season. Is he says, you know, the police don't make the laws. We just have to carry them out, and that is such horseshit. Yeah, because I'm- we have watched Andy selectively carry out the laws so many times also did the show just forget that he's also the justice of the peace so he can he is both the the enforcer and the the judge so yeah he really does have the power no one seems to stop him the mayor i think is dead so 
I mean, also, are you going to pretend like they are building this highway anything other than the middle of fucking nowhere? Like, it could 100% go a little to the right. Yeah. But uh, there is definitely this very ominous, creepy trend in the Andy Griffith show where, like, season one and two Andy Griffith show... Man, fuck the law. The law is what you make it. You pick and choose what you enforce. The important thing is morality or my particular sense of morality. And the law should obey that. He specifically gives gives that speech a thousand fucking times, which we've taken issue with because we don't like when the sheriff has the, has the power to pick and choose the laws that he enforces. And now, now times are changing. Suddenly there's a lot of people that are taking issue with certain fucking laws Mm -hmm. that segregation and shit suddenly andy is like well the law's the law and you know those are the rules and you have to do it like like it's really convenient timing for andy griffith to go from counterculture to establishment yeah Uh, yeah you you nailed it yeah like oh like you don't want to go to the vietnam war laws the law look who's saying it andy griffith like yeah yeah man it's it's really it's it's pretty clearly bad writing right in that like andy this season has had to basically contradict everything that andy from the past three seasons has done or if if anything right this this is the reason why people like the andy griffith show because like once you get once you get past a certain point on the political spectrum, you can imprint whatever politics or belief system you want on the Andy Griffith show. Cause yeah, it all contradicts each other. Anyway, it all comes out in the fucking wash. So basically you, you can, you can build your own Andy. Like, it, it's, it's really, it's like the South park theory, right? The South park theory that for every South park episode that makes a point, you can find another South park episode that directly contradicts that point. 100 percent it's 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 some nihilistic television i yeah i would describe it as deeply sinister because like it it is it is it is counterculture when convenient and establishment when convenient which is like the sinister way that that I, I'm gonna just say like the right or I don't know fucking I mean, white people to be, whatever control control the narrative itself rather than the argument. To be fair, you could say the same thing about Brooklyn Nine Nine. You could say the same thing about Parks and Rec. You could say the same thing about like a lot of that. Poor, that, that, it, that that that's not saying that it's good. It's just saying here's the influence. It's know? a common thing, which is like the longer a show goes on, the the more it goes from like things should change to it is what it is. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, Superstore. We like, we talked about this in the bonus episode. Superstore absolutely sold out. Yeah. Uh, at one point, Speechless pretty much became the disability porn that it used to make fun of at the beginning. So I mean, it's it's just what happens when network produced show gets popular. Like when when money starts ha- starts rolling in. Yeah. Then then you have people saying like. Well, Andy Griffith can't say that. Ten, like fifty thousand people watch this a night. You you have so much freedom when no one gives a fuck what you're doing. Yeah, that's what this show is all about. <laughs> we can do whatever we want on this show. No one cares about us. All right, so so let's go back to the fucking house, right? Yeah. So, well, the the jail. So they're having the debate. 
Barney is switching sides, setting up the repeating thing that Barney is extremely influenceable and will basically agree with whoever is talking the loudest. Right. Um, so Aunt B gives a really fucking good speech in regards to the fact that they're paying for the property, which is money makes it all right, huh? Some things are more important than money, like homes and where people grew up and do unto others, which is fucking true. Like... It, and you know, you know how we know it's true because Barney and Andy fucking said it ad nauseum in another John Whedon episode. Yeah, the last one we did before this. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, like again, eminent domain does not actually pay people what the fucking property is worth. Oh, for it's sure, not, that is not a thing. But if they did, yeah, it's the it's someone's fucking home being uprooted from a place that you have lived at for a really long time beyond emotional emotional pain or any sentimentality is devastating getting kicked out of a place you've lived for a really long time uproots your entire life and does more damage than just you lost the property so to to be to be fair to be clear like that's base the basic law of eminent domain as i understand it from about 20 minutes of googling is the two basic necessary rules are you can access the private lands if you can show that it is for public purposes only, like a highway, mm-hmm. and if the property owner is compensated at fair market value. Now, what determines fair market value? Question mark. Yeah. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that fair market value for uh, what appears to be a rundown shack in the middle of nowhere probably not a whole lot but the land is is worth probably worth money in fact the land is worth a whole ton of money because he has it and you want it yes <laughs> like so so that's that's how that's how value is determined he like he is not able to set his own price for the land which he could if he had that ability to do an eminent no- domain wasn't being invoked would be your entire fucking city budget, motherfucker, because you were dumb enough to build half a highway before getting the goddamn <laughs> land. In a in a just situation where you were not doing this, it, it, introducing you to King Frisbee, your lord, because he his price is the town. Fucking yeah. So back to back to the house. Let's go to the house. We open up on Opie, who is like. Tr- using a rusty saw by himself with no supervised supervision. <laughs> Dog shit form. I do not know very much about carpentry, but I know that when you are sawing something, you probably shouldn't have your leg mounted all the way up on it with your knee to your chin and just sawing with one hand. You 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 need to brace something. You need yeah. like some put a rock on it or whatever. Andy comes over and he puts his big old boot down on there to brace it for him so he can saw and that. That's when he thinks, wait, what are you doing? What are you building? What's going on here? I guess I have to take some interest in my child. And Opie explains, like, building a chicken coop because I'm going to get a rooster. And Andy's like, feels like a kind of thing that I should have been asked about. But okay. Yeah. And Fed- so Opie's sawing. Andy is like, you know, I don't really like how he's given Opie a chicken and giving you a mustache cup. They say mustache cup about five times. Yeah. Uh, and... He's like, you know, he's just trying to get you on his side, which, again, if he's doing so, he's doing a dog shit job of it because he's not like really interested in fighting. OK, so this is another. The Andy says he is essentially giving you gifts to curry sympathy with my family and turn them against me, 
which this is another fucking thing in a John Whedon episode where the bad guy has a plan that involves being nice and hoping that the thing he wants to happen will happen. Right. This is exactly what the homeless person did in the last one we talked about. He like it's like. Like it, all Andy, Gri- all John Weed and Andy Griffith villains are playing like four-dimensional chess that requires them to be mildly psychic or have like mind palaces, like Sherlock Holmes, where it's like I'm going to give an old lady a coffee cup and then the dominoes fall. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and suddenly, I still have my house. I've brought the sheriff's department. Like, just absolute batshit plans that are interpreted as, like, deeply sinister. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the last time we did this, it was a homeless guy whose, like, first crime was, I'm just gonna have lunch with these kids and yeah. go away. And then... I guess then I'll be rolling in food forever. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? like apparently in the Andy Griffith universe, every like backwoods farmer and homeless person is fucking Moriarty. It's they're, they're all people whose badness is very clearly apparent to John Whedon. Right. Yes. Jo- John Whedon seems to think that he's got the glasses from they live and he can see all of the, all of the darkness in all of them. And why can't you see it too? It's so evilly paranoid paranoid because the show is basically paranoia saying, like it specifically says no one does a nice thing for no reason if a character comes up to you gives you a gift and says hey i have hardship in my life they're trying to get you to do something bad like they're conning you everybody that is nice and sympathetic is just a fucking con man uh, yeah it's 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 just brain poison pure brain, so poison. brain poison all right just fucking a lot, lot of lead in the gasoline at that time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jesus. So, yeah, so, I mean, the rest of this is pretty much the same fight over and over again as the last time. Um, Wait, and Opie is like, hey, it seems like, it seems fucked up that you're evicting Mr. Frisbee. And Andy is like, well, child, this is the second time he's tried this move. Don't you understand the due process of the law? To which the kid fucking, it, like, basically says... I'm a child. That means literally nothing to me. You have to talk to me about right and wrong. Like, I don't... The, the due process of law? I lost interest at the word do. Like, <laughs> fucking insane. And Aunt B says it's just one poor old man against the county. Fucking digs into to Andy by saying, you are ruling this county with no feelings, you just do what the law says, but only when it's your, when it, whatever side your bread is buttered on. Are there no lawyers in Mayberry? Did they put a ban on lawyering at the same time as they put a ban on alcohol? Like- <laughs> lawyers keep coming into Mayberry and be like, I'm going to set up a shop and, you know, help with the state law and help people enforce their rights. And Barney Fife fucking kidnaps them and buries oh, them alive. Th- there, is, there is a pile of public defender bodies somewhere in Mayberry Creek. Wait, the, there is like, like, oh, you're a lawyer? We actually have some real estate for you. We call it uh, Lawyer Valley. Just come on up and just look out upon a, he- a sea of skeletons that have been buried up to their necks. Mm-hmm. Uh, fucking A. But yeah, like I-, I feel like in between the episodes, the character from It's a Wonderful Life is just assassinated every 14 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they're so Aunt B and Andy are not talking to each other now. They they're doing the whole like, Opie, tell your father to do blah blah blah. Opie, tell your Aunt B, blah 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 blah. And it's pretty good, honestly, because it ends with Andy just marching off, going, "I don't care what what you tell her." He says he doesn't care what you tell me. So yeah, you know, it's all right, whatever. It hard cuts to the kitchen the next day. Where they basically just have the same The same argument. argument. I, I, I'm looking at the notes now realizing all three of these scenes are the same argument. I almost want to skip this except for two things. Number one, the repeat of a sheriff don't make the laws, which we have seen numerous times. Yes, you fucking do. Yeah. Uh, it does not work in this universe. The whole uh, conceit of the... I know we're repeating ourselves just like the show is repeating ourselves. But the whole conceit of the show is what if a sheriff basically made the fucking laws? And then the second thing is that, like, Barney comes in after B and Opie leave, and he's, like, sitting there uh, having coffee with with Andy. And Andy's like, Andy says, you know, I know that Miss Frisbee or Mr. Frisbee is just fooling them. And Barney says we could get him on a 204. What's yeah. a two- and Andy says, what's a 204? And he says, eh, it's kind of a catch-all. It's pretty much like bribery but also influence but also you know it's a, it's, it's a bullshit law i could just get him on yeah uh, there is this this scene did make me laugh though um because they're talking about what are we going to do about aunt b they say what, what are we going to do about aunt b she can be real stubborn barney says well you know women women can be real stubborn do you know you want to know what a famous philosopher once said about women's stubbornness and andy says no and he gets <laughs> up and he walks away End of scene. So, and it's so goddamn it's funny. It's a great move. It's so funny. It's killer. No. But, okay, the 204 <laughs> law. Because the fucking... The show has been... Because the show has said explicitly, laws are sacred and should be, like, respected and revered. And Barney is like, hey, you want to use this bullshit law that means nothing? <laughs> That just forwards our interests. Do you want to use the law that I wield as a cudgel to enforce my will? And Andy's like, nah, but that's cool that exists. Not yet. Not yet. Let's put a pin in that and come back to it. Yeah. Like, Like, it it contradicts itself within this fucking episode. Exactly. Their fucking belief system is such dog shit. John Whedon can't even keep his fucking shit straight for the duration of an episode. Uh, all right. So they they drive into work. They drive into the jail and there's a large protest out in front. It's Aunt B and a bunch of women Aunt B's age. They're all protesting. They're all got signs. The highway is a killer. I have to point out my favorite sign of these because there is one woman wandering around like there's, you know, signs like, no highway, let Mr. Frisbee go, Sheriff Taylor unfair, and there's one sign that says, don't patronize this jail. <laughs> Lady, you can't boycott the jail. It's not a store. The jail is not a place you choose to go to. The, ja- yeah. the jail doesn't, like, lose money. You know that, like, right before that, they were like, well, the important thing is that Susan's trying. (laughs) It's such a funny sign. I 
I've been thinking about it for a week. Don't patronize this jail. Do you think the show did that on purpose? I hope so. Yeah. It's... <laughs> It is very possible. It's almost just like, just write the fucking sign and accidentally created comedy gold. So there's a shitload of yelling. They yell at Andy and Barney. Andy says we have to, this is about democracy and we have to yield to the will of the majority to which Ampy and the women yell, why don't you? We're the majority. And Andy says, like, the law, you democratically elected the representatives. They made the laws. The laws decided that this needs to happen. And then Ampy said, well, the law decided wrong, which is a pretty common assertion. Like for, for the Andy Griffith show, fucking revolutionary, right? That they introduced this concept. Yeah. <laughs> well, because that's a thing that everyone believes. Like, the, everyone, regardless of where you're on in the political spectrum, believe that democratically created laws are sometimes fucking horrible. If you're on the left, you think that it's fucking segregation and like all this horrible bullshit we do. And if you're on the right, you think it's that women are allowed to vote. But it's a universal thing that we think that this is not like nest like inherently ironclad acceptable and fucking absolute hypocritical bullshit that the Andy Griffith show asserts that it is. That's not a valid argument. Like, it's and it, it very ex- clearly not. Not Especially not in Mayberry. It explicitly avoids making a uh, a moral argument against, uh, against what Ampy is saying. Ampy is saying, I have a moral point about this. And Andy says, well, it doesn't matter. And it's not my job to deal with your moral point. Do you think we're ever going to see someone run against Andy for the position of sheriff? And yeah, we're going to find out that he actually is a moonshiner. <laughs> That's of just, course. yeah, just, he's going to be like, I have a bunch of very salient points about why Andy Griffith shouldn't be sheriff. And Andy's going to be like, I'm sure it'll work itself out. And then it does uh, <laughs> because they'll find out that his like, his wife is actually a moon moonshining still or some shit like that. <laughs> There's sexism aplenty in this Barney sitting there like, we can't do anything with women. If they, if they were men, I could smack them around and lock them up. Yeah. What am I going to do with these women? They came at me like, bah, and it was really scary. And then if I'm like, well, fuck it. These women will get tired and go home. They're women folk. They, you know, it's, it's about supper time. They'll disappear pretty soon. Basically they have an entire scene that boils down to, Women, women, women. Am I right? Women. Just that over and over again. That is like the essence of the of the scene. And there's some other words in there, too. I, I don't even feel like doing it. To be no, honest. Well, I like, did it. I accomplished yeah, you, it. You did the bit. All right. Later that day, or maybe the next day, I don't know. They get a phone call from the highway department. They say, all right, the bulldozers are ready. We still got to go kick this dude off. So they drive out to the farm where Mr. Frisbee is. And Aunt B is like, got her crowd there. Uh, yeah. Right. They're ready to, they're basically ready to like change themselves to the house and like, like pour sugar in the bulldozer's gas tank. And they're shit. doing like, a balls to the wall protest. They're standing in front of them. They're, they're doing like some actual good, good work out there. It's not like some of the bullshit protests that we've walked into that, <laughs> They're doing some, like, 
some hardcore direct action shit. They're about to throw a, a chair through a Starbucks window. <laughs> yeah, no, they are. They're really going at it for this character that we've never seen before and will never see again. Ampy uh, is like, remember, girls, if you get pepper sprayed, pour milk into your eyes. Water only makes it worse. Uh... There's a huge, so there's a big conf- confrontation between Andy and Barney and Aunt B's crew at this point. And, but, like, the guy that they're fighting for is, like, kind of just slowly watching as Andy drags stuff out of his house. Like, Andy is pulling furniture out at this point. There is no, like, argument that Andy's not on the side of, like, he. if you're yeah. waiting for a change of heart, he's not going to have one. Yeah, like, and it, it sort of starts coming to a head. Andy, but Andy's not making any sort of an argument while they should move. He's just going like, ladies, I'm asking you to move. Ladies, I'm asking you to move. Ladies, I'm asking. Like, he just says that like four fucking times. And they're like, we have arguments. This is wrong. And they kind of do a thing of like, you cannot arrest all of us. What the fuck are you going to do? How are you going to solve this situation? Are you going to arrest like 25 like old ladies old yeah. ladies are like are you going to walk away and andy's like i'm about to have to make an, a big important decision and then oh here comes that deus ex machina baby swooping yeah. in uh god emerges from the machine and just hooks a drunk rooster at the side of andy's head so opie's there for some reason yeah i don't did he get did he get a ride with i guess i guess like I was going to say, I guess they can't leave Opie at home alone, but they do that all the time. Aunt Aunt B, like, squatted down and be like, now, Opie, do you want to see your beloved aunt get arrested by your dad? Would you like some trauma today? How how does that sound? Do you want to see the worst thing ever? Yeah, but but Opie's there and he's looking for his rooster bow, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, I went in there, I can't find any of my rooster that I'm supposed to have. And Andy's like, I don't give a fuck, man. Yeah. Like, I'm too busy with this shit. I'm too busy. And, like, they hear the drunk, the, the gurgle of a dying rooster, <laughs> yeah. basically. And Opie's like, oh, that's got to be him. And Andy goes, yeah, whatever. Go fucking get tetanus. I don't give a shit. Go and says, go get, go get your bird. He comes back with the bird. And he's like, look, my bird's dying. Yeah. I, I found, I've, I found him in the basement. And he's like, I didn't see a basement there. In the chicken coop, there's a trap door and I found him. So then we zoom in on this rooster that they have like like fastened chicken or fastened like fishing line to his wings and are just like making this thing dance. Is so a little a little bit of, of animal abuse in this episode. I was I I did not watch the scene closely enough to see the uh, the fishing wire, but I was like, I wonder how they how they made that rooster look drunk. No, I don't. No, I do not wonder that. I do not want to know what thing they did to make this happen because it is undoubtedly barbaric. I thought they like injected the chicken with poison and we were watching like the last minutes of its life. No, they just tied some wire. I mean, it's better than your thing. They just yeah. tied some wire to it and just like pulled its legs around. So <laughs> I guess that's that's something. Technically. And then and then Andy is just like, uh-huh. So he walks away and he comes back and he's like, Look what I've got. It's a distillery it's a distilling silo. Look at this motherfucker. This guy's a bad guy. Ha ha ha, bitches. You know. So 
here's my theory is that when Andy says something, the universe, I, I, don't, I don't think that that still was there. I don't really think that he's really, or at least he wasn't a moonshiner. I don't think Mr. Frisbee was a moonshiner. I think that when Andy says something, the fabric of reality tears itself and warps and creates matter where matter was not before because there's no way for Andy Taylor to be wrong or morally like ambiguous. Those things just appeared. He spoke it that I don't like this guy and then shit appeared because it's the only thing that makes sense because why the fuck wouldn't you get rid of that stuff? Go hide it in the woods beforehand. Like, like, uh, yeah, he, so the, the, the recontextualization, like if this, if, if you take this all on face value is the change is not, well, I don't want to leave my land because it's my home. It's because all right, well, I have an illegal operation on my property, and if they bulldoze through it, they're going to find it, and I'm going to go to jail. So he wasn't, like, resisting it because he wanted to keep his land. He just wanted to not go to prison, which, you know what, is fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also still, like, it doesn't change the, the facts of the situation, man. Yeah. Like, he Yeah, like, because he's... Again, fucking moonshining, the thing that, like, everybody has agreed is a completely harmless fucking crime. It's, it's, they, they use this crime to label a person, this is a bad person, he's completely yeah. unrehabable and don't trust anything he says, but it's a thing that is only illegal, it, it's, it's, the only reason this crime is happening is because you're still 30 years behind the rest of the country. Yeah. If you would fucking decriminalize the alcohol trade, like, Everyone else has by this point, because it's 1964, it's not the 20s. Yeah, fucking, okay. This but, wouldn't be an issue. But this is... You've, you've created a situation wherein the person has to do the bad thing that you use to label them unworthy of their home. And you know what's going to happen now to Mr. Frisbee? That money that he was going to get for his county, for for his land... Well, the county's going to be like, we don't have to give. Look, man, we can we, civil forfeiture, man. Yeah. Great. Mine now for free. Yeah. Fuck this you. is all evidence now or whatever. This the entire, fuck. Yeah. This entire sit town. So basically now, thanks to Andy's intervention there, Mr. Frisbee loses his home still and he doesn't get any money from it. He's just made a man fully homeless. 100%. The, he is absolutely destroyed this guy's life because he is fully homeless. He's going to jail. Like, and he's old. He's not bouncing back from this shit. He's also established. He has nobody in his life that he can move into. There's no fucking family there with him. So he's basically just sentenced a man to death on screen to prove a point to his aunt. That he's a bad person for doing the thing that he's only doing that's only illegal. That's only happening really because your laws are not the same as the entire rest of the country. And Andy specifically says, Hey, chicken farming is not that profitable anymore. So you started moonshining as a side hustle. That is something that the character specifically fucking says, basically saying like, Hey, you were doing something illegal out of necessity, huh? Your back was really up against a wall and you did what you had to, to survive. Ha. Sucks for you, bud. So it wasn't even that he was like 
<laughs> I shall sell moonshine and become rich. He was like, I'm trying to sell moonshine to make ends meet, motherfucker. And Andy's you- like, I know, and I love it because I don't have to have a moral because my kid will shut up now. Yeah. You want to hear a a Mayberry Wiki commenter almost get it? Yeah. <laughs> From the ultra-reliable Mayberry Wiki, uh, a comment made in January of this year. I never cared much for this episode with Andy and Aunt B fighting. I don't see why Andy was so against Mr. Frisbee. Sure, he was running a still, but Rafe Hollister did the same thing and Andy liked him. Yeah. You're close to getting it, pal. Yeah. You're so close. Take a few more steps. Come on. You're Come almost on. there. And yeah, that's a great point. Like, Andy is friends with a couple of moonshiners. He loves Rafe Hollister. I mean, yeah. This is this whole thing is basically like it's it's the equivalent of a cop like planting a gun on a guy to arrest him, but the second cop is God. So like like <laughs> what? So I mean, basically John Whedon not even a good enough fucking writer to stay consistent in his own fucking 22 minute episode decides to break with break the entire character of Andy Taylor, like break with everything we've gone so far. He's he's basically just been given an opportunity to put his own weird fears and hang ups and I don't know, let's go ahead and say sexual shit yeah. up on screen, too, because he's a Whedon and. Because of that, the world is in a worse place. So, Slightly. I'm 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 not gonna blame all of today's problems on John Whedon. You know, he's not Ronald Reagan. But he is <laughs> but the manifestation of our thesis. He is he is a contributing factor. Like, he, 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 it's he, a greater than zero like probability. To explain the reason we were doing the show, we used to have to like cite a bunch of shit and kind of like run through different plots of Andy Griffith episodes. And now we can just be like, John Whedon, John Whedon, <laughs> it, John, j- just look at that guy. Look at, look over there. He is already, he, he is like the villain. He's like the final boss of this fucking show. Yeah. But so the big thing is in the, Andy Griffith show has pulled this little magic trick in the past where there's a character that is inconvenient to Andy Griffith. And rather than dealing with having to deal with it, they discover at the last second, he's a moonshiner. He's a bad guy who goes to jail. But the way that usually happens is that the guy is already a bad guy. He's like an old asshole that's yelling at Andy's son. Or he's like, like, oh, get off my property. I want to evict some babies from their orphanage and burn down a nunnery. And or like, he's actively firing at you. Yes. Or he's, he's shooting at you right now. And Andy's response is, knock it off. Yeah. But there's always uh, there's always a fucking, like, it's, it's always a bad guy that they use Moonshine to get. And then recently it has shifted from, I'm a nice guy. And I have a moonshine still and I'm actually evil. But they go it the thing that makes it like kinda creepy is they don't have Mr. Frisbee go, ah, you got me, Andy Griffith. I'm a bad guy and I have bad morals and I was using Aunt B towards my own ends. You I'll uh, escape out of prison and destroy you. He's just like Oh Like he He's just like, oh, I guess my life is ruined. I'm sad. Like, he doesn't. We can't 
we can't under uh, understate how much of a non-player Mr. Frisbee actually is in this episode. I think he's only in he's only in two scenes, and I think he only has lines in one of them. And like, all of his lines are said with the inflection of, hmm, yeah. I'm sad about this thing, so, and it's, it's it's not I'm not happy about it. So it's all about him, but he's a decided non-factor. Yeah, it's fucking insane. This show, I think the reason that you and me both got so fucking like hyped up angry about the show is it does our it does our, our least favorite thing in any media. The shit that you and me have been like complaining about since way before we started doing this show, which is the Dark Knight Rises move, which is uh, you have a bad guy. He raises a moral point that is in opposition to the main character. And at the end, you reveal that they don't actually believe in their like in their moral argument so you don't have to worry about the moral argument so it's it's that combined with another thing i hate which is giving our protagonist reality bending care power so they don't have to be wrong yeah i've I've mentioned this uh, like a couple of times in the latter episodes latter seasons of uh king of the hill yeah where like in order for hank to always be correct they ramp up the crazy of everyone else around like everyone else has to go way hog wild in order for Hank to still be the moral centerpiece. And I hate that shit. I hate it so much. And I, I realize it's kind of just like a natural effect of a show going on too long, but you're in season four, which, but y- yeah, like it's just, if you can't write, your, t- if you can't t- write your way out of a sit- out of a problem, don't do the problem. Like, if you can't make the character do or say a thing that solves the problem, don't bring up this shit. Don't yeah. write yourself into situations that you have to have God reach down and, like, like pluck you out of it. Although, to be fair, I guess, like, being way too charitable, these seasons are, like, twice the, the length of a modern television season, right? These are, like, yeah. 32 episodes. We're what, like... God, over a hundred episodes of the Andy Griffith show at this point. Jesus Christ, I'm going to go jump out a window. Oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, so, but... What are we doing with our lives? I don't even know, man. (laughs) I'm so mad about the Andy Griffith show at 2.17 on an afternoon. Uh, But fucking... Yeah, like, but this is like... This has always pissed me off because ever... The Dark Knight Rises is like the one that made me first aware of it because... Bane is like, I believe in basic Occupy Wall Street philosophy. And then the Dark Knight is like, but actually you're a terrorist. Boom, shot you in the head. Don't have to deal with anything you just said. So it's kind of like character assassination, but I, on a philosophy. So, I mean, Mar- Marvel's still doing it. Yeah. Right? Mar- Marvel did it this year with Falcon and Winter Soldier, where they were just just like, all right, well, the bad guys making a good point, so it's time to have them murder people for no reason. Uh, that Ra- that's I mean, another th- one that's like it's it's the it's, next it's adjacent. Do- it's the next door neighbor, which is they believe a good point, but they go too far. Ra- Raymond Chandler once said that when you run out of ideas for your story, just have the character who's making too much sense kill someone. Yeah, <laughs> more or less. Oh God. It, okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I think I think that's it. We're it's an absolute bullshit episode. And it's Josh John Whedon. I keep saying Josh. John Whedon might as well be the same person. Yeah. John Whedon is the goddamn devil. I think we only have one more Whedon episode, like 
I mercifully. It feels it the the introduction of John Whedon into this show feels like I'm halfway through Final Fantasy VII and Sephiroth just showed up. Like, uh, like <laughs> I thought I thought this was hard, and now like da da. Like, the big orchestral music is swelling, the flames are rising, and John Whedon is just like, I'm gonna fuck everything up. Yeah, I'm looking at it, and yeah, we only have one more John Whedon episode. Thank fucking Christ. Oh, fucking uh, I can't see how this how this happens. Yeah. Alright, so, ratings? <sighs> Alright, Andy Meter. Is there anything good about this episode? Yeah, the, 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 the Hal Smith, Don Knotts bits, which have nothing to do with the rest of this, yeah. is good. Like, I really did laugh very hard at Andy just shutting down Barney's, like, women, am I right, joke, and just walking away. That was really funny. There uh, are about, like, I think four, I think in this episode, I think there's about th- four cumulative uh, minutes of good comedy. Yeah. Yeah. But the writing is such dog shit. Uh, on top of all of it, it's not just how much this has angered me, like on a political level, but it's just a poorly written episode. It's not good. I mean, we said that Aunt B's arguments against eviction are good. They're not. I, Francis Bouvier is selling a lot of them, but it feels like kind of a connect the dots thing. Of, like, it, it's the coloring book version of an argument against evictions. It's like, like, I don't know, God and morality, my bad, and, you know, responsibility, nice, nice. It's what the if we do just... unto others line. It's because it's she literally delivers it like that. There are some things that are more important than money, like homes and people growing up and do unto others. Like she says it as if she's just like, tr- like she's trailing off of ideas while she's talking. She, Ampy delivers an absolutely dog shit argument against people being evicted from their homes it still wins which is how bad this episode is written that like it's a person like basically delivering a middle school book report versus a person who is grunting and crapping in the dirt like it's an absolute race to the bottom in terms of like bringing any sort of coherent idea to the table so Two. I'm going to give it a two. Two. Yeah. The like, Barney meter has bled into the Andy meter. Honestly. And that's being generous. Yeah. Like, like honestly, it's just not even that entertaining. You know what? No, I'm going to deduct half a point for animal cruelty. So it's 1.5. Yeah. Like, you, you, you made me watch you torture a chicken. So... I'm sure the chicken was fine. Uh, no, uh, it was the it was the sixties. There's a solid chance that that chicken was very much not fine. And like <laughs> Barney meter. Hey, all right. So we're we're going off of our new Barney meter scale, which is how where does this compare to Opie and his merry men? Uh, where how many? Opie and his merry. We might as well just rename it the Weedon meter yeah. at this point. <laughs> Um, on a scale of, of one to five Whedons yeah it's it's okay god okay in comparison to Opie and his merry men Opie and his merry men gave me like ch- heart palpitations 
this made me conceptually angry. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say this is not as bad as Opie and his marriage. Not, no, not close. It's, it's not as bad because I don't think – and I, I think it's just because it doesn't come up as often, right? Like Opie and his merry men – had a horrendous viewpoint which is poor people want to be poor they could work if they wanted to and that argument proliferates through everything we i've heard that a million times the argument here is just like eminent domain is i guess okay if you take it from bad people and that's still an awful 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 fucking thing to think but it i guess it doesn't come up as often as the other thing i mean it does it sort of it is a thematic continuation of Opie and his Merry Men, which is poor people are out to get you and don't buy their bullshit. If a poor person tells you that they're suffering, they're not. They're lying to you. That's true. Yeah. So I would put it at like an eight compared to Opie and his Merry Men. It does not. It did not fill me with blinding rage. Oh, I straight up screamed fuck you at my television. Yeah. Yeah. This still was very bad. Yeah, I'm going to say eight and a half. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is an eight on the recalibrated Barney meter. All do not compare this against any <laughs> previous Barney meters. That there is a be- We are on Barney meter two. <laughs> the whole thing's different. It's it's we've, we've, all changed. The the introduction of the Whedons has really just like mess with our our calibrations i mean we were we were if anything really generous at the beginning of this show yeah oh man i i, I really want to hear from someone who is like listening to this show all the way through yeah like at this point because we've had enough episodes that, like now we're we're rounding up on a hundred episodes of the show my man i know uh, okay so i think god i'm so angry i think that's gonna wrap it up for us as always you can get at us on the internet on on twitter we are at break mayberry i'm at schneid remarks that's s-c-h-n-e-i-d remarks patreon if you want to support us with your money dollars uh patreon.com slash breaking mayberry patreon.com slash breaking mayberry if you want to support us with your money dollars and also get access to cool bonus content like us yelling about a youtube series in which jillian bell sleeps in a home goods that's actually just a half hour advertisement for home goods uh, uh where we, it's worse than it sounds where we also have a uh longtime friend of both of us who rips on marty for the duration of the episode yeah that's pretty fun yeah so we have we have bonus content you can make us watch horrible things if you'd like all that's available on patreon.com slash breaking mayberry if you don't want to support us with your money dollars but still want to help us out of course always those ratings and reviews are always welcome facebook.com slash breaking mayberry breaking mayberry on instagram you can email us stuff uh, breaking mayberry gmail.com the music you heard before uh, and are about to hear was made by max ludwig who is on the internet as at sleep talkie that is it i'm marty this is dan we'll see you all down at the fishing hole Dum-dum-dum.